Can we just pray? Father, I want to thank you for your words. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for your ministry into our lives. And I pray this morning that not only would there be anointed preaching, but I pray, Lord Jesus, that there be anointed hearing as well. I thank you, Lord, that you are doing things in all of our lives. And I want to bless you for the work that you're doing in my life. I pray, Lord, that that would be evident this morning, but I pray also, Lord, for the work that you're doing in this church. I pray, Lord, that you would multiply it. I pray that you'd bring it to fullness. I pray, Lord, that the full inheritance that you have for us, we would begin to enjoy as a community. And I simply trust you for these things in Jesus' name. And I bless you, Lord, for your words. And I ask that your words would take root in every heart this morning. It would produce much fruit. And thank you, Lord, that... Your word never returns void, but it always accomplishes what you have, the purpose for which you sent it. And so we rejoice in these things this morning, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, The title of my message this morning is The Hidden Person of the Heart. The Hidden Person of the Heart. And um, if you want to go with me to Ephesians, we're going to carry on in terms of our study of Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 3 again this morning. I love Christmas time. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's one of my favorite times of the year. And the run-up to Christmas, Christmas has begun already. The shops have been pumping out their wares. Boney M is singing their songs in every shopping center like they do every single year. And uh, I have a couple of things that are favorite things for me about Christmas time. Um, I love spending the time with our extended family just being able to hang together, unhurried times of being together. Uh, I love the red and green of Christmas. I love the Christmas lights. I love the, the sense of, of joy that comes at Christmas time where everyone's relaxing a little bit and they're just content to be together. I love thinking about the Christmas menu. <laughs> it's one of the highlights of my, of my holidays is to plan the Christmas menu and to see what we're going to eat together. And uh, we, we talk about that for a long time. And uh, it's a great thing. But most of all, I love sitting around the fireside with mates and just telling stories and watching the glow of the fire. And uh, these are a few of my favorite things at Christmas, and I'm sure that you have some of your favorite things at Christmas time. But as I was just looking at this passage out of Ephesians this week, it just struck me again that actually Christmas time. It is joyful, it is family, it is all those things. But most importantly, it is the time that we as Christians celebrate the fullness of the coming of the gospel to us. It really is. That's what we celebrate. And this amazing plan that God had in mind for the redemption of mankind that was pre-planned and and foreordained before the foundation of of the earth, the cradle of Bethlehem was a major step forward in terms of his plan of redemption. It was, because if Jesus didn't come, Jesus could never have died, and the cross could not have been empty, and the grave could not have been empty, and we could not be enjoying relationship with him like we do right now if it wasn't for the cradle at Bethlehem. And it's a profound thing to meditate upon at this Christmas time. And uh, I've been looking at J.R. Packer's book called Knowing God. Thank you for the copy of it that you gave to me. And he writes in this little thing in that book, he says, the crucial significance of the cradle at Bethlehem lies in its place in the sequence of steps that led to the Son of God to the cross of Calvary. And if we don't understand it, we don't understand it until we see it in that context. And it's true. The cradle at Bethlehem has its place 
in God's redemption, this amazing plan of salvation that he's had for all of us. And that's what we want to meditate on this morning as we continue in terms of our study of Ephesians, that actually we celebrate all of what Ephesians is about. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. All right? And so let's read verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. And it says this, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's a wonderful prayer, isn't it? This is an apostolic prayer. Paul praying as an apostle to this church that he loves with all of his heart, and this is what he prays for them. And eventually Paul gets back to the prayer that he started in Ephesians chapter 1. Remember, he's been distracted for a couple of chapters, chapters 2 and 3, and chapter 2 he speaks about the amazing salvation that we have through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3 he talks about the mystery of the gospel, which is now that Jews and Gentiles can be part of one body because of Jesus, that he's broken down the wall of hostility, that the way's been made open, that all of us can join relationship with, with, with Jesus because with God because of, of Jesus, this amazing mystery of the gospel. And so when Paul comes and he starts this prayer and he says, for this reason, he's calling to mind, he's, he's pointing, in his mind he's thinking back to all of what he said in the first two chapters. And he's saying, for this reason, for the amazing grace that you've received because of this mystery of the church, for this reason, for all the delight of all these things that you enjoy, this amazing salvation, the unsearchable riches of Christ that he's talked about in those couple of chapters. He says, for this reason, because of all these things, as, as a consequence of all these things, I bow my knee when I think of you and I pray to my Father. It's amazing. So he's recalling all of those things. He's saying, because you have complete access to the Father, because the, may, the way has been made open, for this reason, I bow my knee. It's because of this amazing privilege that you have because of Christ, the way that he's made everything open for us. The first thing I want to say is very simple. If Paul uses this little thing, he says, I bow. And he adopts a physical position when he prays. And the Bible describes a number of physical positions that we can adopt when we pray. And it's not to get all religious about those things. But in Genesis 24, verse 52 when that, the people pray there, they bow like this. In Acts 21 verse 5, it says they knelt. In Matthew 26 verse 39, it says they lay prostrate on the ground. My point is simple, that when we pray, it's not a matter of 
bodily position. You might prefer to kneel when you pray. You might lie on your face when you pray. You might want to just stand with your arms raised when you pray. The important thing is, when you pray, what you're communicating to God is your absolute, complete dependence on Him. You're communicating a reverence. You're communicating, Lord, without you, I can't do this. I need you desperately in my life by the power of your Holy Spirit in order to move into the fullness of what you have for my life. That is what we are communicating when we pray. We're saying, God, I can't do this. You can do this through me by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's a very different approach because the world is so full of self-confidence, isn't it? We just need to get ahead by working hard and getting the best education that we can, and then the future is ours. Well, I want to say to you that in Christ, all things are possible. And He wants that dependence in our hearts on Him and Him alone. And I believe preaching the gospel is of the highest importance, but I believe also praying is of the highest importance. And just as a little aside, I want to just ask you to pray for four things, because I think these are four things that are crucial as we go forward into the future. Someone coined this phrase that Christians, uh, water is wet and Christians pray. <laughs> it's very simple and it's very profound. That's what it's part, should be part of our DNA, that we express our dependence on God. And we do that through prayer. I want to uh, suggest to you that there are four things that we need to pray for. First of all, can you pray together with everyone in this church for those that preach the gospel? that the gospel will be preached simply, clearly, and effectively, that Jesus can be proclaimed in the community and that people can find Christ. Not men's good ideas, not some kind of self-help promotional way to live your life, but the fullness of the gospel. Can, we, can, can you pray with us that we would see the gospel preached in this church and in every church in St. Albans? Amen? That the fullness of the gospel will come. Secondly, can you pray for local congregations? Like I said this morning, it's good to have anointed preaching, but there must be anointed listening as well. There must be hearts that are open, that the seed of the Word can go in, and the fullness of what God wants to do can find completion in people's hearts. So can we pray also that all of us would grow in love for each other, grow in love for God, grow in holiness, grow in sound doctrine, grow in openness to the Holy Spirit. And I, I pray this morning that after I finish preaching, God will minister by His Holy Spirit to you. He's doing it already. Yeah? Pray for salvation that as the gospel is preached, many, many people would come to be saved. Thirdly, and can I ask you to pray for opportunities for evangelism? Those four simple things. When we pray, prayer shows us that actually God is the source of every blessing that we enjoy. He's got nothing to do with us. It reminds us, prayer reminds us that God alone is able to save. Not the words of man, not any techniques of men, but only God is able to save. Prayer reminds us that it's God who builds His church, not men. If we try and build church around techniques and do this and people will come, when you stop doing the techniques, people won't come anymore. What needs to draw people is the gospel of Jesus that is proclaimed in truth and simplicity. And people find Christ. That's what builds the church. And there's an amazing scripture in John 15, which I was just meditating on this week, verse 16. And it's talking about that portion where it says, you are in the vine and abide in the vine. And verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he might give it to you. 
Man, isn't that a, that's a beautiful motivation to pray joyfully, <laughs> knowing that God wants to answer our prayer. And uh, I just was reflecting on what, what, what Hans said to us a couple of months ago. He said, on the other end of our prayers are the ears of a loving father. Don't you love that? On the other end of our prayers are the ears of a loving father. When we pray, when you pray, know that God's heart is to answer your prayer. He's got good things for us, his children. He wants the best for us. And it might not happen in the timing that we think, but actually God is at work to bring his plans in our, in our lives to completion, and he's committed to that absolutely, fundamentally, primarily. Amen. So Paul talks about this, and he says he bows his knee and he prays. The other thing I want to just point you to in that first little verse is that he's thinking about what God has done when he prays. He still, is, still has in mind what he said in the second half of chapter 2, and he's reflecting on that. Remember, he talked about us becoming fellow citizens together with the saints. That's what he was saying. The mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are now part of the same body because of what Jesus has done. And so he uses the same language when he begins to pray, and he says this, from the Father from whom the whole family in earth and in heaven receives its name. Isn't it an amazing thought to, 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 to meditate on the fact that all of those who've gone before us and who are now in heaven enjoying the fullness of, their, of, of joy with, with Jesus and, and, and with the Father, we are part of the same family, and yet we are still here on earth. That's what Paul is saying. It's an amazing thing that all those in heaven and all of us on earth are a part of the same family, and we enjoy the same. We are one people in God. We have one Father that's redeemed us. And so Paul is writing again, just to emphasize this to the, the Ephesians, and say, I want you to know again and again and again that you are part of the same family. It doesn't matter that you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter that you weren't born Jewish. I want to reiterate again now as I'm praying for you that you are part of the same family. One family, same Father. Same Father that is in heaven. is Your Father here on earth. And for me, that is incredibly Encouraging. And then what does he do? He prays for strength for them. First request, the first thing that he says, he says, God, I pray for these people that you would strengthen them with power by the Holy Spirit. And he says that they need to, he prays for the Ephesian church to be strengthened so they can receive some other things, which we read about in the next couple of verses. But where he starts, he says, God, strengthen your people on the inside of them. Inwardly, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Strengthen him with power. That's what he, what he prays. And I was just thinking, as I trust God for my own life and my own future, and I trust God for the future of this church, perhaps that's the first place we should start in our prayer, is to pray for each other that God would strengthen us from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking and just meditating on my own life, how much of my own prayer life is consumed with requests and petitions and anxieties for my own life and for my children and for the future of, of my family and this church. It's all centered around those things and how little I pray simply just for people to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been a challenge to me. That's where Paul says we should start praying for each other that every single one of us would be strengthened from the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to give opportunity 
for that later in the meeting. But Paul uses this phrase. He says, strengthened in your inner man. Some translations use inner man. Some translations use inner being. And the New Testament speaks a lot about our personality. It uses words like soul, spirit, flesh, body, heart, mind, conscience. It uses all those words. So what does Paul mean when he's saying, I pray that God would strengthen you in your inner man? What is he pointing to? Well, there are three places in the New Testament where the phrase inner man or inner being is used. The first is Romans chapter 7, verse 22, and it says, I delight in the law of God in my inner man. All right? That's where the first time it's used. Second time is 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and it says, Do not lose heart, for although our outer body, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Isn't that wonderful? That should encourage you every time you look in the mirror and you see that more gray hair and more wrinkles and a bigger belly and thinner legs like mine are getting thinner and thinner as I get older and older. (laughs) Your outer body is wasting away. There's the reality of it in the mirror every day. But what is Paul saying? Your inner man is being strengthened and growing and getting stronger. We're being renewed on the inside day by day. All right? The second time. Thank you, Lord. Absolutely. The third t- time it's used is in the passage in Ephesians, which we've just read. According to the riches of His glory, that He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Holy Spirit in your inner being. So it's clear for me from those three pa- portions that what Paul is talking about is that part of us that remains after we are dead and buried or cremated, whatever your preference, after the physical shell is gone. He's talking about that part that remains, the inner person, the inner man of Ant, the inner man of Doug. That's what he's talking about. It's the hidden person of the heart. And I found this little uh, scripture in 1 Peter 3 verse 4, which is absolutely delightful. It talks about ladies, and it says, ladies, don't give so much attention to earrings and stuff. It says, rather, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. It uses that phrase, 1 Peter 3 verse 14. The hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of gentleness and a quiet spirit, which God's, in God's sight is very precious. Isn't that beautiful? And so Peter and Paul use the same, the same language. It's the hidden person of the heart, the inside, the inner being, the, the, the part of us that is not perishing, that is not getting wrinkled and gray, that he's addressing. And he's saying, that inner man, you need to strengthen that inner man, which implies that that inner man needs strengthening. It's not automatically strong. So the center of our being, the center of who we are, whether you're man, woman, whatever you are, Paul and Peter are, are, are talking about this aspect of our being which continues on and which needs to be strengthened, the hidden person. So what do we need to be strengthened in? Here are a couple of things, and I'm sure you could find more. But I want to say the first thing I feel like we need to be strengthened in as a people in our individual lives is in our sensitivity to spiritual things. The Scripture says none of us have a heart after God naturally. None of us desire God naturally. And so we are, we are, we are, all of us 
insensitive to things of the Spirit. We are insensitive to the presence of God. We are insensitive to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. We are insensitive to spiritual things, to His presence, to who God is, to what He thinks of us. And part of the beauty of the last couple of years is that God has been restoring to us the fact that we are sons, the fact that we are completely adopted into His family. That is the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel. That every single one of us are sons and daughters, and we can enjoy that relationship with our Father in intimacy and just come and be with Him as His people. And I believe God wants to refresh us in our sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. Right? Secondly, our inner man needs to be strengthened in our minds, in the way that we think. What does Romans 12 verse 1 say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've been, you've been thinking like the world thinks. Now I want to renew your mind, and I want you to think like a spiritual man, not like a carnal man anymore. And uh, Revelation 3.17 has this, this scripture which says, You say I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, naked, poor, and blind. And there's a sense that we need to come to God and say, Lord Jesus, I need the ointment that you can put on my eyes so that I can begin to see what you have for me. I can't even begin to see what you have for me. I want that oil on my eyes that I can begin to see what you have for me. That my mind can begin to be renewed. Amen? Thirdly, not only our minds being renewed, not only having a hunger for spiritual things, thirdly, our wills. The inner man needs his will strengthened. I think sometimes our wills are flaccid and floppy and unexercised. They are unexercised. The grace of God comes to you and I in order that you and I can say no to what is not godly and we can embrace what is godly. That's an amazing privilege that the grace of God comes and we can choose for righteousness. And I was thinking this time, this week, how much in my own life when there are moments that I can choose for righteousness and there are moments that I can choose for unrighteousness, my default is to choose unrighteousness. What I mean by that? Well, whether to speak with a calm voice or to speak with anger. And how many times I tend to speak with anger. Are you with me? That's because the will is still a little bit floppy. It's still a little bit unexercised. And I believe God wants us to strengthen our will. As Christ is formed in us, that when it comes to the point where we can make decisions, that we choose automatically for righteousness and not for unrighteousness. That we choose to speak gently and not angrily. That we choose to speak with tenderness and compassion and love. And not resentment and wanting to get our own way. Are you with me? But our will needs to be exercised. The inner man needs to be encouraged because he needs to grow and be strengthened in God. Fourthly, I believe God would say our appetite. He wants to strengthen us in our appetite. <laughs> Paul said, Philippians 3.10, above all things, Paul said, I long to know Christ. I long to know the power of His resurrection in my life. That life-transforming power that changes me from the inside out, I long for that with all of my heart. That's what Paul says. And I was thinking on my own life, how much my own heart is seduced away by other things that are not eternal, that actually in the light of eternity have no value whatsoever, and yet my heart is seduced constantly along the way, and I begin to lose something of the focus that God has. My appetite needs to change. Can I say to you, I feel like in terms of all of us, our appetite 
corporately also needs to change and become more and more passionate about the things of God and a hunger for Him. What do we read in Matthew? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. I find sometimes we're running after all the things, all the things, we're just nervous that the things are going to be taken away. But God is our Father who provides and He will do all things for His, for his children. Seek first the kingdom. Fifthly, in our perseverance, our endurance, I feel like God wants to say to us that in a man, He wants to strengthen with endurance. And we have this, this life as a Christian man, it, 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 it is a marathon. I've run marathons. I, I know what it's like to run a marathon. I, when you hit 33 Ks, there's something in your body that just goes, I can't do this anymore. It's called the wall, all right? It's a physical thing that happens as your body processes all the the proteins and nutrients that it needs, by 33 Ks, it's used it all up. And no matter how fit you are, you have to run through the wall. It's like you cannot, your body just goes limp. You can't do it anymore. How many of you feel like that sometimes in your Christian life? You're just like, I've come to the wall. I cannot do it anymore, Lord. I just, I feel like, ah. Anyone there? Well, that's where we need the power of the Holy Spirit because we can get weary along the journey. God's encouragement to us is not to give up, to resolve to let the inner man be strengthened by his grace, by his power, that we can see him continue to move us into the fullness of what he has for us. And even then, I know I'm talking about the inner man, but even our bodies need to be strengthened. Isn't that right? Sometimes it's amazing when you're just in the presence of God and you're enjoying him, how refreshed you feel physically. And uh, that's what... The, the Old Testament prophet said, he says, um, young men might grow t- weary and tired, but those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and they will rise up as wings, on wings like eagles. Our inner man needs to be strengthened. I love what Paul says. He says, all of that, all of that God does because of his riches of his grace. He just says, he uses that little phrase, the riches of God. And it's basically what he's saying is all of God's grace, all of the good part of his character, he just imparts to us by the power of the Holy Spirit just because he wants to build us up. <laughs> That's wonderful, isn't it? He just wants to impart those things to us by the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can be strengthened. And now we come to the key part of what Paul is saying. He's saying all of the strengthening that needs to happen on the inner man is because of what God wants to give you. He's saying... You must get strengthened inwardly by the power of the Holy Spirit because God wants to give you something. And what he begins to describe those things in verse 17. He says this, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you might be rooted and grounded in love. So he's saying, the hidden person of the heart, the inner man, is to be made strong by the power of the Holy Spirit so they can be a conscious indwelling of Christ in your life, that you are consciously aware of Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying also that you must be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit so you can become rooted and grounded in love. And he's saying that once the strengthening of the Holy Spirit has taken place in your heart, you can begin to understand the massive dimensions of God's love and grace towards you. That's what he's saying. 
the height and the breadth and the depth and the dimension of God's gospel in your life. You will begin to understand it as you are strengthened on the, in the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, that is wonderful good news. Because, you know, we have nothing to do with it. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so I want to look at those three things quickly. It's like Paul is saying to the Ephesian church. He's saying, you have been saved. You are adopted as sons. You are in God's family. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of those things are true, but there's more for you. And I want to speak to you about the more. I want to encourage you in the more. And he's saying, in your inner man, that hidden person of the heart, I'm praying for you that even though you're a son, even though you're part of the family, even though you've been adopted, I want to pray more for you. I want to pray that Jesus would take up home in your heart. I want to pray that Jesus would take up residence inside of you so that the atmosphere of your heart and the atmosphere of your life is love. That's what he's saying. That Jesus becomes so real to you that you know him in your heart as you know your husband would know a wife. Friends know each other. There's an intimacy. He's saying, that's what I want for you. It's great. It's wonderful that all those things are true, but I'm praying for more for you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The most uh, literal translation of that little verse 17, I think it's verse 17, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted, it's active. Being rooted and grounded in love. And that's what happens when Christ comes and makes his home in your heart. Love becomes the atmosphere. We love God. We are rooted in his love. We love other people. Our roots go down into the love of God. Our lives are built up on the love of God. And then we can start to love the other people. Rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. Hopefully you've heard that by now. That's what this, where, where it comes from, Ephesians. That's, that's what God gave us. Rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. Let love become the atmosphere. Ah, that's a challenge to me because I so often in my life, I can have to say, love is not the atmosphere of my heart. It's not. I have to say, as I parent my kids, sometimes love is not the atmosphere of my heart. I, frustration is. It's a challenge, isn't it? Is love the atmosphere of our hearts? Well, I'm not being condemning. I'm just saying God wants it to become the atmosphere of our hearts. He wants to transform us. He wants the the inner man to be strengthened. He wants us to pray for each other that that inner man would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all I'm saying today is can we commit to doing that for each other? That we can see the atmosphere of this church become love. Not that it isn't already. You know what I'm saying? But the, the beauty is it can always be more. It's always there's greater and greater measure, greater and greater fullness of what God has for us. And that's what Paul says in verse 17. He doesn't really any, say, say anything more. He kind of re, reiterates. He says, my prayer is that you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And so now he's talking about the gospel again. He's saying, I want you to understand this gospel in all of its fullness, the, the, the full dimensions of the love and grace of God. He wants the Ephesians to know that they are part of the fullness of the gospel, even though they are Gentile. He goes, he just, he, all these things are coming again and again and again. You know, if Paul was preaching this morning, I would, I, I, I would stake my life on it that he would be desperate for every single one of us, for you and I, 
to know the same thing. That is addressing the Ephesian church. So I want you to know the fullness of this gospel, the height and the depth and the breadth of this love of Christ that transforms anybody. It has power to transform those that are dead and make them alive. And we heard Damien's story this morning. Man, we should be rejoicing in testimonies like that where God is transforming people. Just, he's at work. He's at work in people's bedrooms and work, he's in work in Manchester even. <laughs> and you know what Paul says further? It says that you might know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Man, that is an unbelievable statement. He's saying, I want you to know what is unknowable. You actually can't know this. You actually can't understand it. It's, it passes all knowledge. But I want you to know this love. Isn't that incredible to think about? The, unlo- the unlovable, the unknowable love of, of Jesus. There's a mystery that Paul is speaking about. We can't fully understand it. We can't easily express it. You, we, we've experienced it in our lives, but it's hard to express. It's hard to tell others about in some ways. But you know, I want to say this. We can begin to express it to other people when we begin to understand it ourselves. When you've begun to understand the love of Christ for you and the grace of God in your own life and how God is changing you, without anxiety, you can begin to speak of that to other people. You can. You can, in a measure, begin to say, well, let me just tell you what God is doing in my life. It's like this. I can't fully express it. I don't even fully understand it. But you know, the love of God, the grace of Christ, He's transformed me so much, and let me tell you my story. And so people can begin to know something of this love, this grace that has changed us. It's easier to speak of the love of Christ when you know that you are deeply loved yourself. When you know that you are a son yourself, that God loves you warts and all just because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's easier to tell others. You don't have to give them a long list of what they need to do because actually God will tell them what to do by the power of His Spirit. You just get on and love Jesus with all of your heart and He'll transform you from one degree of glory to another. So the love of God flows in all directions when we're in the kingdom. Love from God, love to God. God's love for others. Rooted down in love, built on the foundation of love, the atmosphere of our hearts, we are surrounded by this love of Christ. And when we are living in that place, we fear we don't have anything to fear. We don't have anyone to fear. What does Paul say in other, other parts? He says, perfect love casts out fear. When you're living in an atmosphere of love, you've got nothing to fear. And here is the climax of what Paul is praying. He says this, the goal of everything he's praying for them, the goal of everything is the simple little phrase, in order that you might be filled up to the full measure of God. Man! He's saying all of that needs to happen so that you can be filled up to the full measure of what God has for you. That is unbelievable. The highest goal that God has for us is that we will become God-filled people. That's what Paul is saying. That you will be filled, that something of the character of God would be in you. That you will be so transformed by the ins- from the inside out that people would see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that is an ever-increasing measure. You never stop in that. You are built. It's built, 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 built. Christ grows in you. And will happen in the absolute full measure one day when we are glorified. But it starts right now. And the Holy Spirit strengthens us 
so that Jesus can dwell in us, so that the Father can fill us, so that His love can be increasingly growing in us, that we become God-filled people. There's no limit. Whatever the measure is in your life, I want to encourage you this morning, there's no limit. God has more. God has more for you. He has more for me. There's a full measure that He wants us to enjoy. And so Paul finishes this little prayer with an encouragement and a boldness. And he prays, he says, Now to Him who's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to His power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so what is he saying? Well, this power that's at work within us, it's all the things I've been describing. Paul is saying we can come to a level that we've never experienced before because of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and going from one degree of glory to another. And he's saying this magnificent Savior, this Jesus who's done all these things, is able to do that and more in you. And so he's concluding, he's saying you're now part of this amazing body where Jew and Gentile can come together. And nothing but the power of God could have done that. I mean, Paul speaks of his own pride as a Jew. And do you know that the Gentiles were absolutely despised? So he's saying, what could bring together despised Gentiles and proud Jews? Only the power of God could do that. Only the power of God. And through Jesus, we have equal access to the Father in every way. In this community of love that he's building through Jesus. And so he simply honors Jesus in the end. He says, it's all because of Jesus. It's only because of him that this could have ever happen. It's only because of him and the cross. All of this glory belongs to Jesus. All of it will be given to him now and in future generations forever and ever and ever. And Paul is happy about that. And so he concludes with this loud amen, which just means let it be so. Let it be. All glory and honor and power for every generation from now forward be to Christ because of what he's done. What an amazing prayer. If you don't know what to pray for people, I want to encourage you. Why don't you just get into Ephesians and choose that little portion. You're going to choose Ephesians chapter 1 or Ephesians chapter 3 and pray with all of your heart through those things. Just pray those things for people. Pray that they'll be strengthened in the inside, from the inside out. And so I want to end where I started, really, just to say, let's rejoice in the cradle of Bethlehem at this time of the year. Let's enjoy as a community, what God has done for us because of Christ's coming. We, are, we celebrate that all of our hearts this year.